Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see everybody in here today. We've all come to join the Lord and worship Him and to honor Him. And hey, is this a beautiful day or what? Amen. It's a beautiful day. Our last several days have been just absolutely wonderful. And uh, we're noticing all the little flowers coming out. And too bad, you know, probably a freeze going to come and just get them all. But, you know, but hey, we can enjoy them right now as, as, as everything's happening. But, uh, uh, but it's good to see everybody here today. We'd like to especially welcome our visitors uh, that might be here today. And so we're glad that you've come to be with us uh, today. And we hope you enjoy your stay with us. And, uh, and uh, hopefully you're going to have bunches of people come and welcome you here. And if not, let us know who it is because we have ways of making them talk, you know. So um, no, not really. <laughs> but anyway, no, we hope you enjoy your stay with us. Um, just wanted to let you know that our, our pastor, Thad, is not, in the, is not here today. Uh, he was in the office all last week, and he was, he was doing well. He's feeling pretty good. He even taught a couple of times and things like that. He's trying to get back to, to going again. But yesterday, he started kind of not feeling so well. It seems like his blood pressure got a little bit out of the whack, you know, so uh, he called the doctor, and so they had to go in, and they, they did some things and uh, got his blood pressure back. So he's home today. He called and he's home today, and he said, I, I'm just tired, so I think I'm just going to rest. That's what he needs to do. He might have overdone it just a little bit last week. So, um, but uh, he is home, and he uh, hopefully, uh, well, he wants you to know this because he sent this text to me. He, he wants you to know that he loves you, and he appreciates your prayers. You going to pray for him? <laughs> Amen. We're going to all be praying for him. And, uh, but he also said, and I quote this, the Lord knows all things, and I'm trusting him. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're all doing here. And, hey, the Lord must be in control of all things because it just so happens that today, uh, we, you know, has scheduled anyway for Robbie Roberts to come and, and speak. And uh, so, uh, you know, one of our own, Robbie, uh, is going to come and speak. So it looks like the Lord's taking care of that before we even had it. So uh, Thad's able to get some rest now, and, that, and that's, that's really good. So we're glad of that. Uh, anyway, he's going to be coming. He's going to be sharing after our worship time. Uh, meanwhile, we're, we're, we're real excited about our missions conference coming up starting next week. And if you've never been a part of that, you need to come because it's really exciting. We get to see a lot of different missionaries and things like that. And it's, it's just really a good time together. And so we have a short video we're going to show you right now. Then Andrea is going to come and he, she's going to share a little more about all of that. Just about everyone in Nashville knows the remarkable story of H.K. Derryberry and his good friend Jim Bradford. They enjoy making the rounds. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. It's just a joy for me when I'm around him because he just uh, is just so enlightening. He's also enthusiastic. Seventeen years ago, Jim dashed into a Nashville restaurant to grab a cup of coffee. H.K. was in the corner, a nine-year-old with legs and braces listening to his radio. The kind of kid an executive on the go might ignore. But on this day, at that moment, Jim made a lifelong friend. said, uh, good morning, buddy. What's your name? I'm H.K. Derby. What's your name? I'm Jim. Nice no, to meet you, H.K. Nice to meet you, too. HK's mother, pregnant with him, died in a car accident. He was born three months premature, blind and with cerebral palsy. His dad disappeared, so his grandmother was raising doing? HK by herself until Jim walked into that restaurant. He loves HK, and I do think that it, that it was meant to be. 
when is your birthday? And no one would know about HK's incredible gifts were it not for Jim Bradford. HK has a remarkable mind for days and dates. And your birthday was on Father's Day in 1997, 2003, 2008, and 2014. Oh my gosh, it is. And you don't look a day over 18. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who gets more out of this? Oh, I think I do. HK and Jim. A chance encounter that changed them both and made life... Lovely, lovely, lovely. <laughs> Kerry Sanders, NBC News, Nashville. Hey, NBC News fans, thanks for checking out. All right. Hey, here's my necklace I left up here Wednesday. <laughs> I meant to come back and get it. Um, I have acquired HK and Jim to speak at our church next Sunday night. So I hope and pray y'all come... Uh, to hear their special testimony. HK is 33 years old now, and I saw them at a conference back in um, 2017, and they just really touched touched my heart. Their story did, and uh, I don't know how I got them because they I, I lowballed them on their uh, offer to come speak because it's missions conference. I have a budget, um, and they usually go speak for a lot more. But he said he was impressed with my email and that they would come. HK just wanted to know if he would get to sleep in a hotel. So I got him for really cheap. <laughs> so anyway, um, please come out next Sunday night, 530 to 8. It's gonna, they're going to come speak. They're gonna have, uh, they wrote a book. They'll have signed copies here. You'll get to meet HK, and he'll ask your birthday and tell you all that. He's amazingly smart. Um, so please come out next Sunday. We're going to have a potluck, so we'll, um, we'll do desserts and just ask people to bring the more salty foods for that. Um, also, uh, don't forget our craft fair is March 9th from 9 to 2. Um, if you're crafty and want a booth, just come see me about it, and uh, I'll put you down. Other than that, please come shop that day. Um, and then if you noticed, we have a, a board out here in front of, by the classroom right out here in the foyer. It's got um, Unhindered, which is the theme of our conference, our missions conference coming up, and I've uh, got kind of a little interactive board. We want to know what, what are your fears, what hinders you from sharing the gospel of Christ. So um, you just write it on a sticky note and put it out there. Um, so that's uh, one way to kind of plug into our missions conference. Uh, lastly, um, we sponsor a, an orphanage down in over in Uganda that I got to go to last year, and um, their uh, Isaberry, who is kind of their, uh, he runs the place uh, for Amber Wolf while she's away. Uh, he put together, he sent me videos of the kids um, when we went this past year. A lot of people from here donated Bibles because they were sharing four Bibles for 26 kids. And when we went, we put a Bible in, in each of their hands so they would each have their own Bible. And so he's, he sent me videos of life at, at Hope for Uganda and um, them reciting Bible verses and Van put together. That, that'll be our mission video for today as the kids in Uganda. Hello, everyone. My name is Musokian. How are you doing? Let me hope you are doing well. My name is Rugonda Jova. I'm, I'm presenting John chapter 3, 
verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that however believes in, in him should not perish but have eternal life. That means God is our Savior. I am to follow him and have eternal life. This is how we fetch water for home use because our well was broken down. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 says, so, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. My name is Abdunasa. I am washing clothes with my friends. To make it clean, we need soap, water, for washing. My name is Glanda Badri. I'm representing Psalms chapter 18, verse 3, my colleagues. It says, I call the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. That means God is the fighter of my, God is the fighter of my enemies. My God bless you. physical needs there are being met 
as well as we can we can tell our spiritual needs as as well. As we go into our time of worship, just like to share a little bit right before we sing, we start our singing because everything kind of just flows where I hope it does. But you know, Isaiah before he was Isaiah, the prophet, whatever, he had a vision, and he saw the Lord in all of His glory. Uh, it must have been a, a traumatic experience that he had. He immediately, he immediately, after seeing the Lord, he immediately saw his sinfulness, his unworthiness, and as he put it, his filthiness. But he also saw the country he was from, the nation he was from, uh, uh, Israel. He, he also saw their uh, sinfulness and their unworthiness. And their filthiness. But even at that, he said, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's look at that verse of scriptures, Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, that was a special year for him. I'm not going to go into that, but that was a special year. But he said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Move on, please. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people who of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This very vision that he had caused him to respond in a resounding way, um, there's a, there was a call that came just in the next few verses. We're not going to read it, but the next few verses. And that call says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's response was, Here am I. Send me. And with this in mind, as we read through that passage and what happened in Isaiah's life, with this mind and, and with the thoughts of our coming missions conference that we're going to start next week, let's right now, let's turn our hearts to worship. And let's worship the very one that, I, that Isaiah saw that day. And let's ask ourselves, how do I answer the call to go and tell?
May we? I
praise the Lord together. Singing holy, holy, holy as angels sing. Let's sing that together now. seated that was as that was said who will go who will go and tell them the verse of scripture says how can they know unless someone tells them says where's the call the call comes to each and every one of us to go or to send or to give to participate in that to be able to spread the gospel to these you know, precious young children that we just saw spread the gospel so that they too can stand around the throne and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They have that opportunity just like we do today because we have sent, we've gone, we've done those things. And for you who think that you can't really, you know, there's not much you can do, you can live your life in a way that is so pleasing to him that people will recognize it and they too would respond. That's what you can do. And that's what the, the Bible says, you know, they'll know you are Christians by your love that you have for one another. That's what this song is about. And I want you to listen to the words. It's called All Our Love.
Let's pray. Father, may the truth of that song that we just sang be true in each of our hearts and each of our lives. That when the world looks at us, when they look at us, they will know us. They will know that we're yours, your children, because of the love we have for each other. We thank you for the truth of all the songs that we've just sung. And we thank you for that portion of our worship. We thank you now for this portion of our worship that we're about to have when our brother Robbie comes to share. And uh, I just want to pray for him that you would use him by your spirit and that our spiritual eyes and ears will be open to the truths of your word that he shares today. I want to take this moment also to pray for our pastor, our brother Thad, and just pray that you would uh, help him to get the rest that he needs. Thank you for him. Thank you for what you'll be doing. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's most wonderful to be here today. I just I honestly can't express how excited I am to be here. I have uh, I've been looking forward to this opportunity, and I do appreciate Pastor Thad allowing me to be able to step in uh, for him this morning. Uh, again, those of you that might be visiting, the, uh, the pastor is much better than the fill-in guy, so don't judge this place by, uh, by what you might hear today. But I really am excited about being here. Uh, I do want to extend, let's see here, I've got to learn how to work this clicker. Maybe a slight delay here. I do want to extend greetings from the Grace School of Theology. Uh, myself and uh, Miss Christy Russell, who's also here today, we both uh, work there. We have a teaching site for the, it's a seminary and a Bible college, for those that are not familiar. Many are, but some may not be. Uh, we, the school is located just outside Houston, Texas, but we actually have a teaching site in Trustville. And so we've had several uh, students uh, from this area, and we're very excited, and several also that are actually, and several graduates from our own fellowship here. So we do appreciate y'all's support, and again, we will have a little booth set up after church. We'd love to talk to anyone that might want to know more about the school you might be thinking, okay, wait a minute, that's only for people that are planning on going into ministry or something. No, no, no. We have a, a level for everyone. And so we really encourage you to stop by and see what it is that we are offering and to see whether or not it might be able to help you out in your uh, studies. Again, the purpose of the school is to uh, raise spiritual leaders, to train spiritual leaders. So you may not necessarily be a, a full-time worker somewhere, but hopefully you do strive to be a spiritual leader. So we do thank you for that. 
So this morning we're going to be looking at a very known, a very well-known passage of Scripture. I had no idea we were going to get such a wonderful introduction during the video you saw earlier. Uh, I did not coordinate this uh, with Uganda, but I'm glad that that worked out uh, the way it did. Uh, the problem, though, when you cover a verse like this is that sometimes people are like, okay, wait a minute, I think I know this one. And you tend to kind of let your mind wander and you don't stay focused as well. But I want to ask, uh, ask you guys, how many people here have ever been to the Grand Canyon before by, by a show of hands? Wow, that's a lot of folks here, okay. All right, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon two or more times? Raise your hands. Ah, not quite as many, but still a decent amount. Okay, how many have been to the Grand Canyon five times or more? Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize I'd be the only one. <laughs> okay. I want to know, though, how many, have you, how many of you have ever been to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, down by the Colorado River? George, Van, and myself, we've all three been there, and they're all three fantastic stories of going to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Well, let me tell you something. Those of you who haven't been to the Grand Canyon, I don't know what you envision there, but I tell people, I say, look, if you're going to um, see the United States, there's two places you need to go to. One of them is the Grand Tetons and the Yellowstone National Park, which is very close by, and the other one is the Grand Canyon. I say, you really need to try to see those two places. And the neat thing about the Grand Canyon is, you know, you hear so much about it, and then when the, um, uh, or like anywhere, you may hear a lot about it, and then you say, when you get there, you're like, well, it wasn't exactly what I expected. Wasn't as big as they said. It wasn't as nice. It maybe was a little dirty. You know, it just didn't quite match up to your expectations. Trust me, those of you who haven't been to the Grand Canyon, when you get there, it will far exceed anything that your imagination may have had. Now, for those of us that have been there more than once, and those of us who've been to the, down to the bottom, every time you go, did you not see it slightly different? The, the weather may have been different. It might have been a different time of day. You might have been at a different viewpoint. You might have been on the north rim or the south rim. Or like George and Van and myself, you may have been down to the bottom. It's a completely different view as you head off the edge. Well, that's the same way with this verse today or this passage. You might have been here before. But my hope is, is that by returning to it again, you will find something new and exciting and you will grow more and more in it. Now, I'm going to ask for something a little bit different than normal, and I'm going to ask that we redim those house lights again for just a moment. All right, so this morning we're going to be, I want us to put ourselves in the frame of mind for the passage. And so let's travel back to the first century A.D. Our study takes us to the city of Jerusalem on an evening in the spring of the year 27. This is something I wrote up, so I'm going to kind of read my own writing here. But anyway, the Passover had just taken place, and Jesus of Nazareth had made the trip down from Galilee to participate in the Passover events. While in Jerusalem, Jesus had performed many miraculous signs, and it caused quite a stir in the temple by chasing out merchants who had turned this most high place of worship into a marketplace that was taking financial advantage of the people. That is covered uh, in an earlier chapter, and you'll see in a minute why that might be covered later. All of these events had gotten the attention of the Jewish authorities, and one of these men decided to make a visit to meet this Jesus of Nazareth to find out more about him. This man's name was Nicodemus. And his conversation that night would eventually be recorded by the Apostle John 
and includes one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. This is where my uh, friend in Uganda had helped us out. And I want us to join today because I'm pretty sure you guys, most everyone here will be familiar with this verse. And I want us to join together by saying, saying this all together at the same time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Thank you very much. We'll go ahead and raise those house lights back up. Now, why do we need to look at this passage? Because within this passage is contained the, the clearest explanation of the gospel or the good news to be found anywhere in the Bible. And there's a key word that you're going to see in this verse that you will see in various places over and over today. And I kind of want to just give you a little marker there to be watching for it. It's the same word in Greek every time. Okay, you know, sometimes different Greek words are translated into the same English word. Well, in this case, it's the same English word, and it's every time, and I want you all to be aware of it. And the word is believe. Over in uh, Romans chapter 1, it says, uh, this is Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, for Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek you might remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Thad, when he was introducing this book of John, he gave the explanation as to why this uh, book was written in the first place. There were already three other uh, Gospels have been written, so why did John come back and write it? Well, he tells us in chapter 20. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Today we're going to hear about a man who was challenged to believe in Jesus. I've entitled this message, Nicodemus and an Evening Encounter with Jesus. We're going to step through this. I encourage you, should have said this to begin with, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 3. I meant to say that <clears throat> a moment ago there to go ahead and get tuned in. So as you know, Pastor Thad's been going through the book of John. And, uh, you know, he's had a little uh, medical issue here a few weeks ago. And so I remembered that last summer, some of you all might know, I went on a mission trip to Exeter, England. And I was supposed to preach on the first Sunday there. And unfortunately, I ran into a little bit of weather problems, and we ended up missing, uh, the plane didn't hit the connection, all that got messed up, and I ended up missing the service. So the, the sermon's been on standby, so I mentioned to Thad, I said, hey, look, I said, if you need a break during this time period, I've got something ready. So he took me up on it. So the neat thing about this is, is that this sermon was supposed to introduce a week of uh, missions work, there where we were going door to door in England. And next week, we begin our missions conference here. So I think that tied in, tied in quite, quite nicely. Now, first we find out, we see that now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. First off, we need to see that the name Nicodemus is Greek, and it means victor of the people or people's victory. It's interesting that Nicodemus has a Greek name because he is extremely Jewish, okay? How many people are familiar with a sports brand called Nike? Okay, everybody knows about that brand, right? I think Thad mentioned this a few weeks ago. 
If you look close there, Nico, that is the word in Greek for uh, victory. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next, we see that, that he was a um, man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. Pharisees were members of one of the most important and influential religious and political parties of Judaism at the time of Jesus. I may be learning why Dad doesn't like to participate in the choir before he comes and talks, because you may not have all the voice you need to be able to have it. Next we, <clears throat> next we see that um, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. Now, what this was is he was a member of the ruling Jewish council. This is kind of like the city council <clears throat> of today, except this was the one that was actually working there for, for, uh, in the Jewish time period. The Roman Empire, of course, was completely controlling this whole part of the world, but yet the Romans liked to have people use some of their own um, techniques and their own leadership skills in order to try to maintain better order. And so they allowed the Jews to be able to continue to have the Sanhedrin. <coughs> now, why is this important, you might ask? <coughs> Excuse me, need a cough button. And he says that uh, the meeting takes place at night, we're fixing to see. And this is important because it's perhaps because Nicodemus does not want to show the other, pe the other people in the Sanhedrin that he's even meeting with Jesus. And there's another reason, too. The Sanhedrin met during the day every, just about every day. And so maybe he didn't have any other time to meet with Jesus other than after hours. I think it's also important to note that John uses a lot of... Um, analogies here in the Bible and cast it between darkness and light. Hence the reason why I want us to start off in the dark, because I want us to move from the darkness to the light. Let's see here. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So first we see that Nicodemus addresses Jesus as Rabbi. This is a Symbolic uh, meaning here, this is a very high honor to be called a rabbi because that was someone who had a, a lot of knowledge about the uh, scriptures and was someone to be highly respected. Next, he uh, states that uh, he, let's see here, uh, he would, uh, states that he believes that he is on a mission from God. It's quite interesting here because he sees the miracles and things that have been going on there in uh, Jerusalem the week before, which is chapter 2, by the way, and since Pastor Thad has not yet got to chapter 2, you guys can come back in the future, and I'm sure he'll cover that, and you'll understand that a little bit more. But basically, he understood that these signs could not be done unless it was supernatural activities. These were not normal human things that were taking place. The other reason why he might have wondered is because the incident with the money changers and all the, the uh, activity that had gone on where Jesus had flipped over these tables and caused a big ruckus at the temple, uh, they probably were like, wait a minute, this guy's uh, certainly not sticking with the status quo. Now, if you're taking notes today, and I did a little handout for you guys in order to kind of help you out, this is point number one. We're going to step through a few points here as we go along. First off, I want you to understand that there is a spiritual realm that the natural or the worldly man instinctively ignores. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Jesus knew that Nicodemus was focused on earthly situation, and so he said, hey, look, I'm going to have to get this conversation switched over because I want to talk to Nicodemus about spiritual things. He knew the perspective that Nicodemus was coming from because Jesus was able to see into the hearts and minds of folks. He replied to him, he said, you must be born again. This born again can also mean born from above. And so you must be a complete change. And this is interesting because they have, their wordplay is not uncommon uh, during this time period. And the Apostle John really likes to use wordplay on things. So it could have been interpreted either way. And we're going to see the way that Nicodemus interprets it. Because he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So it's interesting here. Nicodemus didn't understand him to begin with. He's like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I'm not so sure about this being born again business. But then Jesus elaborates a little bit further by telling him, we're talking about two different realms here. Now, this particular verse can have a little bit, throughout church histories, had a little bit of uh, differences of opinion about what it means. I'm going to share with you three possible answers on that, and then I'll, I'll land on the one that uh, uh, Pastor Thad and I happen to agree with. We had a little conversation about this beforehand. First off, that this born of water and the Spirit, some believe that the water portion of that means being baptized. You probably have friends that perhaps were baptized as infants. The reason why is that some believe you must, must be baptized in order to uh, be saved. So baptism comes first. So they, they get that from this particular verse. Others believe that this is symbolic of the Spirit itself because water and the Spirit a lot of times are used interchangeably. And so, so they may be thinking that Jesus is just emphasizing this. Spirit, Spirit. Water, Spirit being, basically being the same thing. The third reason, though, is, is that um, flesh and Spirit... Could, I mean, water and spirit could also mean the physical birth, the, uh, the birth that each one of us had with our own mothers, and a spiritual birth. So the, the uh, water being the natural man, the spiritual birth being the uh, spiritual man. The fact is, is that this is the one that I, like I say, that I tend to, tend to land on. But again, Nicodemus clearly doesn't understand because he assumes Jesus is talking about a second physical birth. Next point, the Holy Spirit moves in ways that the natural man cannot see. Oops. <laughs> the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus goes on, he's telling me, he says, don't, don't be amazed about this right here. Uh, you know, what's... What, this, let me explain this to you a little bit more. Um, Jesus is making an analogy here with the wind. As air is invisible, we can't see the wind itself blowing. Think about this. We're back outside. We're in the wind. We can only see the impact wind has on things out. Well, if it's blowing enough in here, we might see it blowing these flags around or something. But outside, you see the, wind, the leaves move on trees. We know that's from the wind. You feel the wind blowing against your face while you're outside. The winds are really bad, you, you know, we might be under tornado warning or hurricane evacuation or something. 
Interestingly enough, a little bit more word plays going on here because, again, the word spirit and the word wind are actually the same, and so it can be a little word play taking place also. But again, Jesus is trying to, to um, talks about, he says, just as we can't see where the wind comes from or where it will go, so too are the actions of the Holy Spirit. Just think about this now. If, you know, where does the wind come from? You know, it's not like the, um, uh, there are giant fans hiding up above the clouds and somebody's flipping the switch over there and suddenly the wind comes up. You know, you really, you, you, sometimes you can hear the wind coming off from a distance and then suddenly it starts to hit you. And then it goes somewhere, but you really don't know exactly where it goes to. And that's what Jesus is trying to uh, get Nicodemus to understand. He says, wait a minute, you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's headed, but you know it has an impact. Quite frankly, though, at this point in time, all this spiritual talk was um, giving Nicodemus some issues because he says, how can these things be? I like to say that Nicodemus, at this point in time, was, his mind was blown because he's like, wait a minute, I, I don't understand this at all. This is quite interesting. And what was the problem? Nicodemus had a worldview problem. He only saw things from the perspective of this world. He didn't want to acknowledge the fact that there's a spiritual world that extends beyond us. And that's very important. And Jesus wanted him to understand that. Now, in this next verse that we're going to take a look at, I want you all to bear with me here just a little bit. As you know, this is a little bit of English stuff here, you know that the word you can be singular or plural, okay? So I could be talking to uh, someone here, and I could say, Hey, Bill White, I'm talking to you, okay? That's only Bill, okay? But then I could say, I'm talking to you as in we are having a big uh, missions conference next week. Now, in Greek, they actually have two different words, so we can tell what it is. But in English, things can kind of get a little bit confusing. I've got good news for you. Since we are from the South, we've got another word that we occasionally use when we are trying to describe a large group. Is that not correct? So I'm going to read this to you guys using the southern dialect so that we might be able to understand this a little bit better. If I can find it here in my notes. Jesus answered him. He said, you are the teacher of Israel. He's talking to um, Nicodemus again. And yet you do not understand these things. Then he changes. He says, truly, truly, I say to y'all... We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but y'all do not receive our testimony. If I have told y'all earthly things and y'all do not believe, how can y'all believe if I tell you heavenly things? Perhaps that verse makes a little bit more sense here because he is talking to Nicodemus specifically, but he also includes the entire group, the Jewish uh, people, and the fact that they have not been listening to the prophets in the past. And that's what he's talking about, the we uh, business. And now he's saying, hey, look, I'm just telling you the same things that's been going on in the past. Nicodemus was a teacher in Israel. He would have been one of the preeminent experts at his time, and yet he was clueless about what was going on. Jesus and the scriptures were trying to tell Nicodemus spiritual truths, but he and the other religious leaders of that day were stuck on the works and the law. Unfortunately, the same problem is still happening today. People tend to sit around and they're like, oh, I think I understand this. I've, I've got this together here. I saw it on the news. I read it on the Internet. I did all this. You know, I did all my research. I went to school. They're, they're missing it because they will not see that God is talking about the spiritual realm. 
Next he goes on and he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This is a clear statement that Jesus is making about himself. Okay, now if you want to know about a place, what's the best way to learn about it? What you, you do what? Go there. Well, okay, but if you, let's say it's a place and you're going to have to spend a lot of money, like back to the Grand Canyon, and you're like, okay, wait a minute, that's, that's going to take a little bit of gas. Um, maybe I might want to know about it. You might want to find someone that's been there before and see what they say, right? If there's a new restaurant in town, you're like, hey, I want to find out from a friend of mine and say, hey, what do you think about the food at this place? How's the service? What are the prices like? You know, that sort of thing right there. You want to know from somebody who's been there, okay? Guess what? There's only one person that's ever been to heaven and come back to the earth and been to the earth, and that is Jesus. And that's what he's trying to explain. You want to know about the spiritual realm? You want to know about the heavenly realm? I'm the God. Now, Nicodemus and the Pharisees had spent so much time studying the law. This is the first five books in the Old Testament. They had the whole Old Testament, but they weren't spending all their time studying the rest of it. These guys were fixated on rules and regulations. So what they had done was they had said, okay, these rules are great. We're going to add on even more. We want to make sure that people really get down to every little rule about every little operation. And so they just fixated on those first five books. Unfortunately, they were ignoring a lot of the rest of them. Perhaps they'd read them, but they hadn't studied them like they should have. I want you guys to flip over to Proverbs chapter 30 with me for a moment. Because it is possible that, and I believe this is it, it's possible that there's actually a section in the book of Proverbs where Jesus, the answer that Nicodemus is looking for is already given. Many theologians believe that The question that the philosopher asks in Proverbs chapter 30 is answered in John chapter 3. The man declares, let's see, get that up there for you guys. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. First, this man, has been, this philosopher, has been looking so hard for answers that he can't, he's like, look, I, I, I'm, I'm just worn myself out. And he acknowledges the fact that he is not of the same level of God. He, I can't see things from a spiritual mind. This actually is a truly wise man. He says, I have not the understanding of a man. I, he's even trying to say, look, I, I can't even do it on an earthly level anymore. But he says, I have not learned wisdom. I have not, I have knowledge, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Now, Nicodemus, he probably had a lot of head knowledge, but unfortunately, he didn't have much wisdom because he could not see what was right in front of him had he been studying the scriptures. Look at this right here. He says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? We just looked at that. Jesus just made an acknowledgement to the fact. Jesus is the only one that's done that. Who has gathered the wind in his fists? What about this one? Over in Matthew chapter 8, you don't have to flip over there, but in Matthew chapter 8, Many of you may be familiar with a story where Jesus and the disciples want to travel across the Sea of Galilee. And a big storm comes up. Jesus is tired and he takes a nap. And what do the disciples do? It's a total panic. 
because this storm is really bad. These guys, they think the boat is going down. They go and wake Jesus up. And what, does he, what happens here? He says, uh, they went and got him, and he says, And I said to them, What? Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, and this is key right here. What do the disciples say as they saw this right here? What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Amazing. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? In other words, who put this whole planet together? And this is the key thing that I want you to make sure that you hear. Look at the end of this, end of this particular verse. What is his name, and what is his son's name? Surely you know. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. God gave the information to people there in his wisdom books. He talks about the fact that uh, someone has come, come down from heaven. He talks about being able to control the wind, the water, and creating the entire universe. Nicodemus is a very highly trained. He's the, he's the guy that ought to know these things. He doesn't know what in the world's going on. Our next point is Jesus has made the way for people to have everlasting life in the presence of God. Jesus continues on. He says, as Moses was lifted, has lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this was a passage from the book of Numbers that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. Again, it's in the first five books. These guys hang out there. This is one that he's going to have. If you want to, you can go ahead and flip over to Numbers chapter 21. I think it's important because when you see, see this section here about, hey, Moses lifted up, a, uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what's he talking about? Well, let's go back and see what, what actually happened. Now, this is the children of Israel. This is during the time period when they're roaming around during the 40 years in the wilderness because they'd sinned and didn't go in and take, take the land. And so they're having to be out there. And these guys were, had gotten uh, anxious, I guess is a good way, and they were impatient. And he says, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Boo, big mistake, because Moses was God's man. And they said this. They said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now, what they're talking about there is they meant there was no food in the normal sense because God had been feeding them using manna from heaven, okay? These guys had gotten tired of this. God did not take too kindly to this. What did he do? He sent, then it says, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people died. This is not good. I mean, these people are being knocked out right and left because of this. Suddenly the folks realized, hey, wait a minute here. Now, this is not good. There's folks, people are dying all around us here. They came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses this. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Here's just kind of in a nutshell here. 
we see here that the people sinned against God. They spoke out against him. God punished these people because of that, by sending on these serpents. The people repented. They realized, whoa, this was a big mistake here. We should not have done this. What, what, what are we talking about? They went to Moses and asked, asked for a solution. God, uh, Moses prayed to God, and God provided the solution by providing this unique way, not your normal sense of, well, hey, just make the snakes go away. No, he had something different in mind. He had Moses make this bronze statue and stick it up on a pole so that it would be high enough for people to look at. The interesting thing is this. What did these people have to do? Did they have to take a certain thing? Did they have to go around and do a bunch of stuff? No, no, no. All they had to do was, was look upon this serpent on a pole, and they were cured. They'd been bitten. They were cured. Jesus is making this point to Nicodemus. Hey, just as Moses lifted that up, so too must I be lifted up. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, up oh, there's that word again, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Here's our next point. One must believe in Jesus. If you believe, you will have eternal life. Here's that verse that we started off with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Folks even over in Uganda are saying this because they've captured this truth. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This verse is definitely one of the most popular verses, most well-known verses in the entire Bible. The key thing here is that God so loved the world. Not that we were this great and fantastic people, that we were so lovely. It's like, hey, man, these, these folks down here, they're, they're so good. I, I think maybe I should try to do something for them. No, no, we were very, very ugly. But he still was willing. He loved us so much, even in our sin, that he was willing to do the ultimate sacrifice, which was to send his son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. An eternal relationship with God. Everyone will live forever. The fact of the matter is you will. The question is, where will you spend it? Will you spend it in the presence of the Lord or will you spend it in eternal separation? This is obviously talking about eternally with the Lord. I ask you this question this morning. There may be some people in here that have not believed. They've heard of Jesus. They may have been coming to this church for a while. You may have heard this all your life. But you may be saying, hey, I don't know about this. You're just like Nicodemus. You haven't quite made the connection there. But I challenge you this morning to think about this and to, and to trust in Christ. Believe that he has come, that he died on a cross for your sins. And if you'll believe in him and the fact that he did do that for you, you can be saved today. I call this the epilogue. You know, let's, you know, what happened here? You know, a lot of times people are like, hey, I, I want to I know more about what happened here with this particular story here. So what, what happened to this bronze serpent? Do we hear anything more about it? What about an old Nicodemus? This, was this the only encounter? Well, turns out that bronze um, serpent makes another appearance. This time it actually appears in... Whoops. This time it appears in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 18. 
as you may recall, some may know, be familiar with this, there are good kings and bad kings during the, uh, 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 the reign of the kings there in uh, the, uh, the Holy Lands. And so there have been some bad kings around, but a good king makes, comes on the scene. And his name is Hezekiah. And he began to rule over Ju- uh, Judah when he was 25 years old. And he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillows, and cut down the Asherah poles. Basically what this means is, is these folks had become so infiltrated with foreign gods and foreign worship that as a result they basically were, uh, had cast out God, weren't worshiping him anymore. They had allowed all this other stuff to infiltrate themselves. So he removed all that foreign stuff out of there. But look at this. What else did they do? He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Why do you have to do that? For the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. They, they, they got so much out of this, uh, they, they cared so much about this bronze serpent now, they even gave it a name. They called it Nehushtan. Now think about that. Now this was something that the Lord had used and had uh, to, to help these people out. Their ancestors had been cured by this. They had twisted it because of all this pagan influence. And now suddenly thought, hey, wait a minute, snakes, these are good. Well, you know, they're, they're worshiping these snakes over here and all. And we got a snake that Moses himself made. We, we should worship that. That'd be even more powerful. That snake could be really good. Not, not good at all. Interestingly enough, that snake was destroyed in order to bring the people back to trust in the Lord. What about Nicodemus? Do we know anything more about him? Did he just quietly go off that night? No. It's very interesting. John, in his gospel, he continues on and tells us more about Nicodemus. It says right here, it says, when the temple guards... Now, this is a little bit of a fuss. takes place in just a few chapters. And there's the temple guards are um, sent out. And they're actually wanting to bring Jesus in for an interrogation. And so they send these guys out, and here's what happens. He says... Um, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Why didn't you get Jesus in? And their answer was, we've never heard anyone speak like this. Pretty impressive. And they said, well, have you been led astray too? Even, the, even our own guards here aren't going along with this. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? It's the same word. This foolish crowd, talking about the people in in Jerusalem, follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. They couldn't be more wrong if they tried. The curse was definitely not on them because they were hearing the truth from the Messiah. These guys were so twisted that they actually thought that they had it correct. But what about Nicodemus? He speaks up. He's beginning to say, hey, wait a minute here now. You guys are, I've met this guy before maybe this there's more to this and he then brings up the uh the scenario if he says is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing and then they replied to him and said are you from galilee too in other words are, are you on this team jesus business what's, what's happening here no prophet ever comes from galilee this is nice nicodemus steps up to actually try to help jesus in front of this group to let them see any more times well yeah it turns out that he is one more time we see this is right after the crucifixion. Jesus' his body has been taken down from the cross. Two guys can't step forward to be able to kind of take care of him. Joseph of Arimathea, he provided a 
uh, a tomb where he could be put in. Jesus, he didn't have the burial plan together. So he says, look, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was also a member of the Sanhedrin, stepped up and said, hey, look, I'll, I'll provide. He can use my family tomb. Then Nicodemus also stepped up. And he says, let's see here. Nicodemus, who had also earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. It's interesting here that John is specific. He doesn't want anybody to get confused about the fact this might be a different Nicodemus. Now, this is the same guy because he, he, he makes note of that. 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes is a lot. It is worth a lot of money. This is a very high amount. This is the amount they would have used if the king had died. Okay? This is not something that they would have used for your average guy. Nicodemus clearly saw that Jesus was a very important person and cared a lot about him in order to spend that kind of money on him. The question we have to ask ourselves is, though, is had Nicodemus come to believe in Christ? Did he believe? Well, John doesn't definitively say. He never comes in here and actually tells you this. But it does seem reasonable that, God, uh, that John, as he's writing this gospel many years after these events, would have picked a guy who had come that night and had the conversation with him in the darkness and had moved to the point where we see him standing up for Jesus and then eventually actually uh, coming forward at a time when it would not have been popular, just right after he'd been executed, had actually come to help him out. Another thing to, to know is, is, does history outside the Bible talk about Nicodemus? It turns out that it, it does. In the Talmud, which is a bunch of writings from the, from the Jews, they have a, a section in there where they talk about a man whose name is Nicodemus Ben-Gorion. And this Nicodemus Ben-Gorion, you tell me whether or not you think this might be the same guy, he was a wealthy Wealthy, sounds like 75 pounds of stuff. First century, same time period, member of the Sanhedrin who lost his status and fortune later in life. Many people now believe that this is the same Nicodemus that we were just reading about and that his losses were probably attributed to the fact that he had come to know Christ and had given up for him. Let's review just a moment. There's a spiritual realm that the natural or earthly man instinctively ignores. If you're here today and you have not believed in Jesus Christ, you are following the natural man. That is the normal process. There are people all over the world that are falling into that, and it's our responsibility to get out there and share with them. The Holy Spirit works in ways that the natural man cannot see. Don't try to explain it using your own mind. It's not going to work. Jesus has made the way for people to have everlasting life in the presence of God. He came, he lived a perfect life, he died a death on the cross, and he rose again. One must believe in Jesus as no amount of good works can bring salvation. Many people say, oh, I can get into heaven because I've been a good person. It doesn't work that way, folks. You must believe in the one who died for our sins. As you leave here today, and I put this on your notes so you wouldn't have to take it down, I want you to be aware that the world desires to live in darkness. But it's our opportunity is to be a light in the world, 
Share this gospel good news message. Share the, share the story of what Nicodemus did. Share this good news. Understand that the Holy Spirit works in ways that we cannot see. You may be lifting up people. You may be praying for them regularly, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Well, understand and know that some people take longer to believe than others. But trust in, trust in God and continue to lift up these people. Again, I call for you today that if you do not know Christ, that you would reach out. You can speak to me. Christy and I will be at the table in the back. But reach to me or any of the elders here at the church. We'd love to share with you more about the good news gospel. We think that it's the most exciting thing ever. And that it's something that you really need to be aware of. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and be able to look in your word. We thank you so much for uh, the Apostle John and for his willingness to be able to uh, uh, follow your Holy Spirit in writing this down. We just uh, thank you for Nicodemus and the fact that he came and asked that questions that night and that you were willing to explain to him your marvelous purpose and why you were here on this earth. Father, we know that uh, he wanted to know who you were and what your plan was for people, and I believe that he explained that, and perhaps Nicodemus then began to follow that in his life. Father, I pray for each person in this room right now that we would go out this week, we would share this good news of the gospel, that we would be willing to let people know that there is a spiritual realm, that many of our decisions on this world are not based on things that may make sense to the natural man, but make perfect sense to the spiritual man. We thank you for that, and if there's anyone here who is not trusted in you, I ask, Father, that today would be their day of salvation. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dave Nichols is going to come up and... Um, appreciate it. Won't keep you but just a minute. Uh, Robbie did a good job, didn't he? And um, exposition of uh, John 3 and also finishing up with about 10 minutes before 12. That was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck to your notes pretty good, Robbie. Good job. So just real quick, related to missions conference again, uh, we've got some sign-up sheets out front. The conference is uh, going to actually start next Saturday, and it's going to run, you know, the next couple of weeks. Next Saturday, this handout in your, in your well, we don't have a bulletin, but the ones we gave you, uh, it's going to be a dinner Saturday night. Uh, so your part now, all the work's been done. It's ready to go. you got to participate. <laughs> and oh, those ugly sign-up sheets, they're sitting out front. <laughs> so we got to know how many people we're going to feed. So next Saturday, this sign-up sheet is out front. Please just stop by and write your name down so we can count you in. We'll have extra. We always know. We know what happens. So we'll have extra. Don't worry about that. But please sign up. That'll help us a lot. Also, um, <clears throat> as a follow-up to the conference, there's another handout that you had called Missions Dilemma. So we're going to have two weeks of conference. And then on March the 15th and 16th, and this is the only announcement you're going to get about it, and the only promo you're going to see here in a minute, uh, after that it's just going to be uh, maybe at the end of the service we'll remind you with a handout. But this is really important because um, this is a series that my friend Steve Saint did. Steve's been to our church many times, and I've mentioned you guys to him, and he's a friend of many of you. So if you don't know about Steve Saint, just Google Steve Saint Missionary, or if you want to pick up into the spear book. I'll actually have some of these during this event. It's going to be March uh, 14th and 15th. We're going to do the Missions Dilemma series Friday night. We'll have like two sessions. They're like 20 minutes apiece, and Steve will answer questions. And then Saturday from like 8.30 till, um, what is it, 
yeah, 9 to 12.30. So it's, it's about seven sessions, but um, we may not get through but six, but depending on how much Steve talks. But Steve's a great guy, and he did this series going around interviewing people about their opinion of missions and how we're doing it. The greatest missions book I've ever read in my life for how to do missions right is this book right here, The Great Omission. And The Great Omission is we think we have to do it all. And Steve's point is we can't do it all. We'll never do it all. We have to include all the people of the world. All the Christians have to be involved in the mission. And so the dilemma came as a result of this book, The Missions Dilemma Series, and it's got some great principles. If you're thinking about going on a missions trip, if you've been on one, anything to do with missions, please sign up. It's out front and come to this. And there again, we have to, we're going to feed people <laughs> Friday night and Saturday morning. So please participate and sign up. I've got one more announcement, but I want to show this Missions Dilemma promo. And you'll see it's interesting what people think about Americans around the world and how we do missions. So watch this a minute. Are we doing missions the right way? Continuing to work like the mission fields are still the same is making a mistake. First of all, do no harm. So many people have come to fix us. The, oh Lord, please don't bring another, you know, person to fix us. We've been fixed so many times, we're a real mess now. Shepherding is for the benefit of the sheep not for the shepherds. I have no positive experiences of missionaries coming onto the reservation at all. You know, when you think of somebody wearing nothing but this and going to church, we have to learn to see things the way they see things. In Italy, we have to learn to walk on our own feet. Otherwise, we become like a mama, 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 depending always on the Americans. We have to learn to walk on our own. Are we ready to wrestle with these issues and figure out how to do it better? So as you can see, that's just a little glimpse. There are, these are great films, and uh, Steve will be here, like I say, to interact and answer questions. I hope. Pray with me because he's up and down a lot physically since he's had his um, injury. With his, uh, he's a partial quadriplegic, doesn't get around as well. But uh, he's told me he would come. If I'll come get him, he'll come back with me, and I'll take him home. Uh, but pray he's up to it, okay? He's down right now. So pray he'll, uh, he'll turn a corner and get better and can be with us. I know he really wants to come and spend that weekend with us. So uh, please pray about that. The last thing I want to mention to you is we got a text last night from a Youth with a Mission with YWAM. Some of you all might have seen that on Facebook or something. But uh, they had um, a um, car accident, or I guess it was a bus accident, a big one, in Tanzania. And uh, eight YWAMers were killed during that time. And it really hurts me because uh, of our connection to it. And I didn't mean to get emotional, but um, these are young people just selling out for Christ. <laughs> I mean, they'll do anything. They'll do anything for the gospel. And some of these are nationals. I think most of them were Tanzanian nationals. So pray for them. And there's uh, eight in the hospital. So three are... Um, not as bad, but five. I think it was three were critical and five were okay. So pray, pray for that and pray for the families. And I just want to close in a word of prayer for that tonight, I mean today. And uh, please go sign up those sheets out front. Let me pray. And you'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you that we started the service today, Lord, talking about, as Thad reminded us, that you are in control of all things. And you are worthy of our trust. And Lord, 
we can, we can trust you through the good times, and we can trust you through the hard times. And, Lord, our heart goes out to these families who have lost these young people. And, um, Lord, I know that their heart was for you, and they died doing what you've called them to do, and they're in your presence now. And we rejoice in that. But, Lord, we pray for great grace and comfort and encouragement for these family members and those that are left behind. And so I just lift them to you. We pray for those in the hospital that you would be with them, Lord, and help them uh, to recover fully and totally uh, and quickly. And I pray for the doctors. You give them wisdom to treat them. We know that Tanzania may not have the greatest medical facilities there, and I just pray that you keep them from uh, infection and other things that might set in. And, Lord, I pray for that bus driver, uh, Lord, that died too. I pray he knew you, and I trust he's in heaven. And, Lord, I pray for his family as well that somehow, God, you'd work through this situation to bring your name glory and to lead people to you. So uh, we just thank you that we can trust you, uh, Lord, that these people did not die in vain, that they died serving you and uh, sharing the good news, as Robbie shared today, the good news of the gospel. So we commit them to you. Thank you for the day. Thank you for Robbie sharing. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the service. Now, in Jesus' name, amen.